January. Hey, we're continuing in our series, The Ghost, this morning. Uh, We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're wrapping up this series by talking about spiritual gifts, uh, talking about how uh, God, how the Holy Spirit equips us uh, with with different talents, uh, um, with different passions, and for gifts, uh, for service, not only in the church, but but in the kingdom of God. And um, I I have to tell you this morning that when I think about a person uh, who is working hard at surrendering it all to Jesus Christ, to be used by God, whatever he calls uh, him to do. Uh, I I can't help but think about Steve Wallen, and and I'm looking forward to you being able to hear from Steve uh, this morning. Uh, Steve is going to come and teach in just a moment. Steve and his wife, Benita, have been a part of Genesis Church uh, almost from the very beginning, and he has been serving on our elder team for for seven years. Uh, They have two girls, and uh, again, Steve and, and Benita are, are generous people. I know that many of you know Steve and, and Benita very well. They give generously of their time, their talents, and their treasures. Uh, Benita works in our children's ministry, uh, is a great host, always opening her home to others. Uh, Steve works uh, a real job outside of this church. He works for IMMI. And again, he's been serving on our elder team uh, for the past seven years and most recently serving as the chairman of our elders. Uh, If you've been around Genesis for a while, uh, you've had the opportunity to hear Steve teach on a number of occasions. Uh, In the past, when Genesis was looking for a new pastor, uh, Steve stepped up to preach, and he does an awesome job of it. Uh, Steve loves Jesus. He loves his family. And uh, if you don't realize this, I can't tell you how much he loves this church. And and I'm so thankful to have Steve, not only for his leadership, but also for his friendship as well. Uh, After many years serving as our elder team, we're going to give him a little bit of a break, just a little one, and uh, and going to uh, ask him to enjoy that. But I'm excited for you to hear from Steve Wallen this morning as he wraps up this great series called The Ghost. Uh, Will you give it up for Steve as he comes to share with us this morning? Wow. That's funny. Wow, that's, uh, I don't know how to follow that. Thanks, Paul. That's something. Um, So we're going to... We're going to talk from the Old Testament today. So if you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Haggai. Um, it may be a while, it may have been a while since you've been there, uh, or maybe never. Uh, but the book of Haggai is uh, in the, at the end, near the end of the Old Testament. Haggai was one of the minor prophets, uh, they're called, although I don't know how you can speak God's word and be minor, but uh, Haggai was one of the minor prophets, and uh, it should be near the end of your Old Testament. And, and Haggai... Uh, was a prophet who lived about 500 years before the birth of Christ in an era where, where the Jews, who were God's chosen people, had been in exile to a country called Babylon. Now, Babylon was attacked by Persia, and their kingdom fell, and the Jews were freed, and they were free to go back home. Many were allowed to return to their homeland, but some chose to stay in Babylon. And, and so you have this culture, this holy people, the Jews, who had been had spent years and years being integrated into this Babylonian culture, and they were so well integrated that sometimes you'd look around and you couldn't tell necessarily who was a believer and who wasn't. So these people were set apart for God's purposes, but they looked, in a lot of cases, a lot like the culture around them. And, and that's where God sent his message to the people. And we'll start in, in Haggai 1, uh, verse 3. It says, Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at, what, look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. 
You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. How many of us can relate to this passage? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, but I have times in my life when I feel like I've harvested little even though I've planted much. Do you ever have times when you feel like you've, you, you have a lot but you're just not satisfied? Like, like you know you make enough money and you know you shouldn't be struggling, but for some reason it's as if your wages are going into pockets with holes in them, right? I mean, it's amazing to me how we can look at a passage that was written 2,500 years ago and it speaks to us so clearly today. It's almost as if God was looking through time, through the prophet Haggai, looking at our culture and our time today, isn't it? I mean, that is, is the power of Scripture, if you ask me. I sometimes feel, and maybe you do too, that this isn't the life I signed up for. I mean, at some time in our life, maybe we've made a commitment to follow Jesus. We've asked the Holy Spirit to join us in our life. And, and, and we think from that moment on, things are going to be great. Things are going to, nothing's going to go wrong. We'll never be discontent. I mean, we'll be just like Wally and the Beeve, right? I mean, we'll, we'll maybe have problems, but in 30 minutes, they're all going to be resolved and nobody will know. And we'll go on and we'll be happy for the rest of our life. I mean, why should we, God's chosen people, the ones who are full of God's Holy Spirit, ever feel empty or discontent or unsatisfied. Now, fortunately, in this scripture, through the prophet Haggai, for these people at this time, God has a solution. God has a remedy for discontent. And, and this being a series on the Holy Spirit, you might think that the solution is to pray. Maybe you should just pray more. Uh, or, or maybe you should just abide in him. Maybe you need to abide in God, and, and that'll cure your discontent. Uh, maybe our emptiness will disappear and we'll be filled with his Holy Spirit again. But God says neither of these. And, and it's not that either one of these things are bad things. They're both important parts of our journey. They're not useless. Uh, but at that time, and I would argue maybe for you and me, the solution actually is much more practical and more hands-on. And it's down in verse 8. Verse 8 and 9. In verse 8, God says, Go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, harvests, rich harvests. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. How do you get out of your funk? God says, build my house. How do you cure discontent? Focus on my kingdom. See, God, in his infinite wisdom, understands that when we turn our focus inward and, and start worrying about our lives and our stuff and our happiness, we can become discontent. We can feel empty. When we think about only us, the scripture says, God will even take things away that we hold dear. This scripture says, what, what you brought home, I blew away. But when we focus on him and his kingdom, and his house, we get filled up again. And I've often found this to be true in my life, that the more I focus on my problems and my concerns and my worries and my circumstances, the further from God I feel. In fact, I remember a couple years ago, I was going through a time when it was just really tough for me. There was, there was a whole lot of change going on in my life, and, and uh, I, I was really struggling with what God wanted out of me in that time. And, and I started praying, and I prayed fervently, and, and I even I started journaling, and I, I was just praying for God to give me some clarity in my life. And it seemed like the more that I prayed, 
the worst things got. And that's not supposed to happen. And so um, one night I remember I was, I, was, uh, I was doing something. I think I was staining my deck. And I was praying at the same time. And I, I, I heard this voice very clearly saying, stop focusing on your problems. Stop focusing on yourself. You need to focus on other people. And I went back and looked through my, my prayers. And all of my prayers had been about my stuff and my circumstances and my things. And even though I was praying and praying fervently, I wasn't praying about the right stuff. And, and when I started focusing on others and praying for other people's problems, that's when God started to bring some clarity in my life. When I turn my attention toward doing for others and for building his kingdom, when my efforts are poured into the church, that's when I feel the most blessing. That's when I feel the most complete and content. And, and I want that for myself all the time. And I want it for you. But sometimes we just don't know where to start, do we? I mean, sometimes we look around and see, we see where others are serving. And we think, well, I don't have the ability to do that. I mean, it's easy to look on stage and see how these talented musicians up here and, and think, well, I can't do that, so they probably can't use my gift anywhere in the church. Or, or I don't really know what I'm equipped to do. Nobody's told me. So maybe I'll just go back and hide in this dark corner back here, and maybe nobody will notice that I'm here. But that's not what we're called to do. You want to be content? Build my house. Now, you may wonder why we're talking about this, though, to wrap up a series on the Holy Spirit. After all, the idea of service in the church is not necessarily a spiritual one. Uh, we've been talking about how in this series, we've been talking about how when we surrender our lives to Jesus, uh, he sends our Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to inhabit our lives, to guide us, to walk beside us. And we've been talking about the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us today. Paul's talked about that. And to sneak a message in about, about serving in the church seems kind of self-serving, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like maybe it's an underhanded, sneaky way to get people to step up for once, okay? Uh, but that's not what this is about. Here's why we're talking about it. Because if we go down in, in Haggai 1, back to Haggai, if we go down to verse 13, God reminds us, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So we don't know how to serve. God is with us. We don't know where to use our gifts. God is with us. When you accept the redeeming work of Jesus Christ in your life and, and he sends God's Holy Spirit upon you, the Bible tells us that he also gives us something else, spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts are given to all believers and they're often misunderstood. And they're talked about several places in Scripture. And so I want to start as we talk about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. We're done with the book of Haggai for now. So 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 7 says this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So when we accept Christ, God sends two things to us. A, a helper, a paraclete, I think Paul used that word, uh, someone to walk alongside. The Holy Spirit is one to lead and guide us. So that's one thing. And the second thing is spiritual gifts. And as they're given, as Scripture says, by the Spirit and for the common good. So it's like this. Let's say you and I were to go on a journey together, okay? We're going to go on a journey. We know life is a journey, right? Our life is together is a journey. We know that because um, it's the time of year when we see these kind of posters out in the, uh, in, in the mall. If you go to the mall, 
you see the accessory stores and you see life is not about the destination. It's about the journey, right? So we've seen that. We see it on the wall. Or you'll see one like this about teamwork. And uh, this one says, uh, I don't know what that says. Uh, I can't read the little fine print at the bottom. Maybe you can't either. But, but I, I always wonder, though, you look at something like this. It's hanging on the wall maybe in your office and you go, yeah, teamwork. You know, I hadn't really thought much about teamwork, but now that I see this poster, it really makes me want to work as a team, right? So you, you've got these, these accessories are so important, which I like this one, uh, this next one, which says, uh, if a pretty poster and a cute saying are all it takes to motivate you, you probably have a very easy job. The kind robots will be doing soon. Um, so, I mean, really, I, I don't know how successful these accessories are, but if, if you want to motivate somebody to do teamwork, maybe one like this one would be better. Share victory, share defeat, right? Okay, that, that motivates me to want to work as a team, right? Or, or this one is my favorite, actually. This says, uh, mistakes, it could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. That's pretty motivating, isn't it? Okay, so anyway, life is a journey, right? So you, you, you believe that. Life is a journey. So let's say we're going to go on a journey together, and we're going to climb Mount Everest together, okay? This is going to be a tough journey. Uh, I've never been there before. I don't have you. No? Okay, good. So neither one of us have ever been. So let's go find a guide. We're going to seek a guide, right? We need somebody to help us. We need, we, we're going to accept his help. We're going to strike a deal. We're going to accept his help. And this guide is going to send us on our way, but he's going to give us two things. One, he, he's going to send us with a Sherpa, right? He's going to send us with a helper, someone to guide, to, to lead us, to carry our gear. And if I can be so bold, that's, that's sort of like the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? And then he's going to give us another thing. He's going to give us some tools, to use on our, on, our, on our journey, right? So uh, things that we need specifically for this journey, things like the spiritual gifts are in our life. Now, these are things that we may not need any other time in our life other than to get to the top of Mount Everest. Now, let's say we, we set on our way and, and the, the mountain starts to get steeper and the oxygen gets thinner and the air gets colder and we get stuck. What's the first thing we do? We, we look to the Sherpa for advice and help. Um, or do we look into that toolkit and see what's in there, right? So let, let's say, in fact, let's say we don't make it to the top of Mount Everest. Let's say we're journeying and we don't make it. And so we, we, we get partway up to the summit and we turn around. And we hike the 12 hours or whatever it is back down to base camp. And when we get there, we say, well, we, you know, we did what we could, but we just couldn't make it. And, and then the guide opens up our toolkit and finds out that it's been completely unused, unopened. But what's going to happen? I can tell you that any guide is not going to have much sympathy for you if you haven't opened your toolkit to try to make it on your journey. Now, whether you understand it or not, the God of the universe, with all power under his feet, has created you and equipped you to do something. Your life is not an accident. God made you for a purpose and set you apart in some way to help build his kingdom. And, and we all need to make it our business to find out what that is and to understand that. And so how has God's spirit gifted you? To help you understand that, I want to point to a few passages of scripture and give you just a few truths about spiritual gifts. Now, first of all, we don't have time in the few minutes we have left, especially in first service, to go over all the spiritual gifts and how they work. And so in the back of your bulletin in the sermon notes, I've, I've put a list there of some of the ones that I find talked about in scripture. There are uh, from Romans 12, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouragement, 
giving, leadership, mercy. I have a friend who says that he has the spiritual gift of discouragement. I don't think that's really biblical. So I tell him not to use that gift. First um, Corinthians 12 adds to these uh, wisdom, knowledge, faith, miraculous powers, discernment, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. First Peter 4 repeats some of these gifts. This is not an exhaustive list. Uh, some of these are controversial, uh, but these scriptures speak very openly about what some of the spiritual gifts are. And so I want to invite you to read those scriptures this week as you think about that. Now let's talk about what spiritual gifts are not. And, and this is in your notes as well. Uh, you can follow along. First of all, spiritual gifts are not your natural abilities. Okay? Your natural abilities were given to you at birth or developed over time. They were developed and honed over years of practice. Instead, spiritual gifts are given to you at the moment of your conversion to Christ. And they're meant to be used to build the church. Or as Ephesians 4, 12 to 13 says, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure, the fullness of Christ. Now, some people have a natural ability to speak in public. They might be witty and funny and engaging and and talk to people for a living, but not have the teaching gift. I mean, heck, some people may be a teacher in real life, but not have the teaching gift. And, and so that's a gift you won't be able to exercise in the church. Uh, some people are really, really smart, but they don't have the gift of wisdom. And so uh, the spiritual gifts are different from natural abilities. If you go back to our example, our journey up Mount Everest, there are some things that you probably will bring along for the journey from home. I mean, you might bring your favorite clothes. You might bring your parka. Uh, you probably will need that. You might bring your brown sugar and cinnamon Pop-Tarts that you eat for breakfast every morning. Oh, wait, that's me. Uh, you might bring your favorite teddy bear. Oh, okay, that's me too. Um, but, but there are also things that you're only going to use for that journey. An oxygen tank. You don't need that in Indiana. Ice axe, crampons, things that you only use for that particular journey. And spiritual gifts are like that too. Just like these tools, the great thing about God's kingdom is he gives you the tools you're going to need to do the work he wants you to do. Something that may not come naturally to you in your life may come to you supernaturally to help work in the kingdom. Uh, Maybe, for instance, you don't see yourself as a leader, but God has given you the gift of leadership. You're going to be able to lead in a supernatural way in the church to help build his kingdom and glorify him. And Paul writes in Ephesians 3, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given through me, given to me, through the working of the power, his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. I heard a pastor say it this way once. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips those he calls. If God calls you to do something, he will give you what you need to accomplish it. So spiritual gifts are not your natural abilities. Number two in your notes. Some, some gifts are more visible than others, but none are more important than others. When the Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 12, he compares the body of Christ, the church, to a human body. Look in verse 12. He says, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body, and so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. 
If a foot says, because I'm not a hand, do I, belong, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? That's kind of weird to think about, isn't it? I mean, if your whole body was like a giant eye, but where would the sense of hearing be? Where would, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. So maybe your inclination is to believe that the more visible gifts are more important. You might think because you can't lead worship, because I won't be doing that anytime soon, uh, that uh, you don't have a place to serve. Or you might think that because you don't lead a ministry, you just serve in one, that your role's not important. And I'm here to tell you that that's nonsense. In our journey example, climbing Mount Everest, not everyone gets the same tools. I mean, if, if we're on our journey together, you might be disappointed if you open up your toolkit and there's no compass in there. I mean, I really wanted to lead. I really wanted to be the leader, the navigator. I wanted to have a compass, and there's no compass in my kit. What's going on here? I mean, maybe you, op- maybe you get the food stores instead. Maybe you open your backpack, and there's a whole bunch of food in there. Maybe you're the mule, okay? Maybe that's your job. Is But if you don't haul that food up the side of the mountain, the whole party's going to suffer. Our team can only succeed when everyone plays his or her part. And the church is the same way. The church can only reach her full potential when every believer fully deploys the gifts that God's given him or her to build the kingdom. In fact, Paul goes on in verse 24, 1 Corinthians 12, to say that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another because God gave uh, even greater honor to the parts that lacked honor. So there are generally two reasons that people don't use their spiritual gifts in the church. Either they don't know what they are or they don't think they're important. If if you're not using your gifts because you don't know what they are, are, here are some things you can do. And I I put these in your notes so you can follow along with this. Uh, Number one, study what the Bible says about about your gifts. Uh, These passages that I listed are a good place to start. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4 is a good place to start. But the Bible has a lot to say about spiritual gifts. So look at that. Number two, ask God to show you what your gifts are, to show you your gifts. Pray for awareness. Pray for wisdom. Pray that you would see uh, what you can do and where you can serve in the church. Number three, examine what you enjoy and what you do well. Chances are all of us in our life have something that gives us energy when we do it, right? Some of us have have things that suck the life out of us when we do them. So I'm a I'm a, I'm a kind of a vision guy. I'm a creative type. I like to uh, sit around and create and think up new ideas. But when I have to do administrative stuff, it sucks the life out of me. You know how that is? When I have to file things, when I have to, uh, when I have to fill out forms, it sucks the life out of me. So I know that in the church, I'm probably not going to be an administrative type, uh, a form filler outer type person. But um, if I can do creative things, if I can look around, if I can, if I can vision things, that's going to give me life. Number four. Take the network class. Um, The network class is offered here at Genesis Church. We're going to start a new class in January. Um, uh, Jim Ockenfels, if you guys know Jim, Jim's going to teach that class. There's, uh, I think there's going to be information out at the Info Hub on that. Uh, If you want to sign up for that, we'd love to have you take that. The network class is great because it, it, it leads you through a book and a spiritual gifts inventory and allows you to find out what your gifts are, both 
from, from your perspective, what you enjoy and what you're good at and what other people say about you. And so you get other opinions in there, too, and say, you know, uh, I, I didn't really know I, I had this, this gift, but everybody else around me recognized it. So that's helpful, too. Number five, and probably most importantly, do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. I mean, all of us get an indication at some point, uh, have some feeling about what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to serve. You get that still small voice talking in your head. You get that little tug at your heart when something's happening. Listen to that. Don't deny that. That's the Holy Spirit. If you're not using your gifts because you believe they're not important, though, you're dead wrong. No gifts are more important than others. Number three, spiritual gifts are not just given to the elite few. Just like no good guide would send anyone up the mountain without tools to do the job, in the same way that when God sends his Holy Spirit, all of it, when we accept Christ into us, he gives us spiritual gifts right then to every believer. Now, it takes time to learn about and develop those gifts. But each of us who has chosen Jesus has received a gift or gifts to use in our ministry. First Peter 4.10 says it this way. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So whatever gift, not if you have a gift, use whatever gift you've received. Think about this idea for a minute of using your gifts. You know, it's the time of year when commercials seem specifically designed to make me believe I'm a bad husband, right? Have you seen these, uh, these commercials where you, you're, you, you spend uh, weeks pouring over the ads, over catalogs, surfing the web late at night, looking for just the right gift for that special someone, and then you finally got it. And then the next night, you turn on the TV, and really you're just wanting to watch a football game or, or maybe catch the end of Elf, and there it is. You know the one. The soft music starts playing. The car starts driving down the lane. You know, Christmas morning, the lights come on. The garage door opens up. And sitting in the bay is a shiny black Lexus with a red bow on top, right? I mean, there it is. All of a sudden, I've done all this work to get my wife the perfect gift. And here is the television telling me I didn't do nearly enough because some schmuck got his wife a Lexus. Now, I'm the worst husband ever all of a sudden, right? Now, I don't know anyone who's actually ever received a Lexus for Christmas. And I certainly don't know anyone who's ever given one. But just imagine for a minute that you did. Just imagine that you could. If, 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 if you have a spouse or you have somebody you care about in your life, imagine that you could give them a Lexus for Christmas, okay? You, you save money for a couple years, and, and you go to the dealer, and you plunk down 50 large on a, on a new GS, a black GS. And, and because you're such a great negotiator you get the dealer to throw in one of those giant red bows for free. They put it on top, right? And so you drive it home and you park it in your neighbor's garage for the, for the week before Christmas because you don't want that your spouse to see it. And, and your neighbor's like looking at it covetously, you know, like I'm going to take that thing for a drive. And I'm going to get paid back for letting them store this here. And, and then uh, on Christmas morning, you walk out in the driveway and, and you take that special someone out with you and there it is sitting in your driveway all shined up just like in the commercial. And the reaction is a little muted from what you thought it might be. I mean, you were expecting a jump up and down. You were expecting the big, deep, lasting hug like on the commercial, right? And instead you get a, oh, that's so nice. 
and then the Lexus goes in the garage and it stays there. And, 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 but you know, in your heart of hearts, you know you did the right thing. You know it was a perfect gift, and, and so you wait. And winter comes and goes, and spring comes, and you open up the garage door every morning, and sitting there is a shiny black Lexus with a red bow still on top, and the odometer still reading zero. And when you question your spouse as to why they're still driving the eight-year-old minivan, they just shrug. I mean, how do you feel? It was a perfect gift. You paid a high price for it, and it's sitting there going unused. Did you know that God paid a high price for you? Did you know that God saved you, not just so he could spend eternity with you, because he wants that, he's crazy about you, he's your father, but he also saved you so you could help advance his kingdom. I know this because if he just wanted you in heaven, if God just wanted you in heaven, he could have taken you away right then. Instead, he left you here so that you can help him find others to spend eternity with. Romans 1 says that through Jesus, we've been given both the generous gift of life and the urgent task of passing it along to others. How are you doing with that? Are you giving everything you have to build his kingdom here on earth? Is your heart broken for people who are far from God? You know, during this series, we've talked a lot about Francis Chan and this book, Forgotten God. If you haven't read this book, if you haven't picked this up, if you want to learn more about how the Holy Spirit works in your life, I highly recommend this. This is a great book. Our connection group is going through it right now. And uh, I've, I've read it. We're almost done with it uh, in the connection group. But it's a great book. <clears throat> but I, I want to leave you this morning with a thought from that book. Francis writes that his youth pastor used to ask, what would your church and the worldwide church look like if everyone was as committed as you are? If everyone gave and served and prayed exactly like you, would the church be healthy and empowered or would it be weak and listless? Think about that. What would Genesis Church look like if everyone was as committed as you? Would we have a band on stage every week? Would we have enough people to teach kids on Sunday morning? Would, would our connection, what would our connection groups look like if everyone were as committed as you are? I mean, what would our Christmas outreach look like that we're doing, our Advent Conspiracy Series that starts next week? What would our weekly offering look like if everyone were as committed as you? What would Noblesville look like if everyone in this church were as committed as you? Now I want to turn it around. What would this church look like if everyone were engaged in using their gifts to the extreme? What would Noblesville look like then? What would our offering look like then? What, what could our kids' ministry look like if everyone who had a passion for, for leading kids to Christ were engaged fully in that ministry? What would uh, our connection groups look like? What would your life look like if you were engaged in using your gifts to the extreme? Would it still be empty? Would it still be like putting your salary into pockets with holes? What could this city look like if everyone in this church were committed to being what I'll call a Romans 12 servant? In Romans 12, Paul writes, <clears throat> if your gift is prophesying, then let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. 
If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Listen to the adverbs in the scripture. We're commanded not just to use our gifts, but to use them generously and diligently and cheerfully. But all the while, we need to use our gifts not out of a sense of obligation or guilt, but as a response to the great gift that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, you and me, all of us, while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. All of us fall short of God's glory in some way. But Jesus came and died so that we didn't have to carry that guilt. He loves us so much. And if you don't know that love this morning, there's going to be some people up here this morning after the service to talk to you about that. They'd love to to talk to you, to pray with you, uh, to, to help you understand and know that great love that we talk about. Don't let another Christmas season pass, go by without understanding and truly appreciating the reason why we celebrate Christmas the way we do. It's not about the gifts. It's about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you that you have gifted, equipped all of us for some sort of service. And uh, Lord, for the people in this room who are are struggling with what that is and, and how that's supposed to look, would you give them great wisdom and understanding as to how to use those gifts, what their gifts are. And uh, Lord, we have, you you see the the places in this church where we need people, uh, but more importantly, you see the people that still need to be here. You see see the people that are far from you. And so would you break our heart for those people this morning? Would you just help us to uh, really have a burning desire to reach people who don't know you? We want them to have the same love and joy that we have. And so we just ask that this morning, that you would break our heart for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.